Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our World Risk Register Threat Monitoring Service. These podcasts are released on a weekly basis, covering timely and relevant topics. In these discussions, we hope to shed light on evolving scenarios and provide actionable predictions and implications. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Hello and welcome to another Civiline podcast. In this session, we're going to be talking about Syria, notably following the meeting yesterday between Presidents Putin and Erdogan. And with me to do that, I'm joined by our senior analyst for North Africa and the Middle East, Noor Kabaita. Noor, thank you very much for coming along and sharing your insights today. So uh, first of all, what happened? What was the meeting all about? So the meeting focused specifically on the situation in Syria, uh, northern Syria. There has been been talks of having a sort of safe zone implemented in the northern part of the country as the situation in Idlib kind of deteriorates a little bit and Turkey is increasingly concerned over the Kurdish expansion in the region. Nothing specific was agreed on. They just agreed to work together, which you know was very vague, but at the same time it kind of... The safe zone formed a lot of the discussion over what Moscow and Ankara would um, are planning to do in Syria over the coming months. Okay, and how big is this safe zone? You know what what's being what's being proposed here. So Ankara would like a safe zone that is approximately between thirty and thirty five kilometers long. This is largely to do with Turkey's uh, concerns of uh, over the position of the People's Protection Units or the YPG, which are currently in northern Syria, in northeastern Syria, and they're pressuring um, a lot of Ankara's foreign policy in in the region. Right. Okay. And so, what does this meeting mean? You know, how did how did this come about? The context of the meeting is important because it comes amid U.S. President Donald Trump's decision to withdraw from Syria. Uh, he announced this in December, and so far there's been a lot of ambiguity as to what this withdrawal is going to look like, how long it's going to take, and what's going to happen afterwards. And that ambiguity has kind of been compounded by recent attacks on U.S. troops in the region, which again has kind of clouded a lot of the of, of U.S. judgment in in what to do next. And it's also strained relations between Turkey and the US. Ankara would prefer a swift US withdrawal and the US hasn't really given them much detail. Uh, They've repeatedly asked Turkey to protect the YPG and to protect Kurdish fighters in the region, but of course Turkey is, is not interested in that. Russia, on the other hand, has agreed to help Turkey, but again would prefer if Damascus and the Kurds spoke rather than Turkey having any involvement in it. So again, it's it's a situation where there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of stakeholders that are failing to agree on what the best steps are. And is the US broadly in favor of a, a safe zone or a security zone in, in the north of Syria? Or, or, is, you know, or is there some contention between the US, Turkey and, and Russia about this? The main point of contention for the US and Turkey is the future of the Kurdish fighters in the region. Of course, the US has kind of bounded itself a little bit onto the YPG and they've helped them, they continue to support them both militarily and in in terms of like training and and covert operations. So for the US, the priority is that if they withdraw from Syria, that the Kurds don't open themselves up to an offensive by Turkey. And Turkey has already announced that that they might be planning an offensive against the Kurds in the region. So I think that is the major stress for the U.S. at the moment is what's going to happen to these Kurdish fighters after we leave Syria, and will this also allow, you know, IS to exploit the security environment and to, you know, kind of gather pace again. Okay, and these talks between uh, Presidents Putin and Erdogan, 
are they part of a, a trend or, or a move towards um, thinking about Syria's reconstruction? And, and if so, is the conflict over? The answer to the question is kind of two-pronged. I mean, the first answer would be that Russia and Turkey have had several talks over Syria over the past few years on similar topics. But this, this, this specific talk is just couched under this uncertainty over U.S. withdrawal and over a revamped sentiment in Damascus to kind of push this narrative of stability and to reassure both regional and international players that the conflict is very much nearing its end and Bashar al-Assad now has control over the country. I wouldn't agree with that. I would say that the conflict has wound down in terms of intensity, but at the same time, it's still very much an active conflict area. And there's a lot of instances of sporadic unrest, which I don't see them going anytime soon. I mean, just just last week, there was three separate attacks on Damascus. So it's definitely forming part of this these fears over Syrian reconstruction, especially as violence doesn't seem to be winding down as much and Damascus keeps, you know, trying to push people to reinvest and to, you know, re- renegotiate with, with uh, the government. Okay. And from a regional perspective, how important is Syria and, uh, you know, what, what's going on regionally with regards to other countries trying to shape the future of the country? I think Syria will be an increasingly difficult uh, debate between a lot of Arab countries. I mean, this a, a very key example of this was during the Arab Economic Summit, where uh, Syria's place in the Arab League was very much a controversial topic for individuals involved. And, and, and it kind of um, highlighted the fact that re-engaging with Syria is not going to be as easy as people thought it would be. Different Gulf countries are divided over what they should do and how to what degree they should re-engage with Syria. I know that the The UAE opened its embassy last week in Damascus. The Bahraini embassy in Damascus has been kind of operating, but not quite. And Kuwait is is undecided and it is waiting for an Arab League decision over what to do next. But of course, Syria's membership in the Arab League is another point of contention. So again, Syria is becoming kind of a a bit of a controversial topic amongst Arab League countries. And I think that's, that's kind of a trend that will keep gathering pace throughout the coming year. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you mentioned um, three attacks in Damascus in the last week. Uh, am I right in thinking one of those was an airstrike that was was conducted by Israel? And uh, that yes. leads me on to, to saying, you know, the, the other two sort of, or, of those uh, regional actors, you know, Iran-Israel is, is clearly uh, a big topic here. So how important is Syria for those two? I mean, I think... It's again. It's another impediment to the conflict actually winding down. Uh, you're right. The 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 attacks um, early the, earlier this week or kind of towards last week were um, Israeli airstrikes that were, according to Tel Aviv, a retaliation to a Syrian missile being um, intercepted in the Golan Heights. The attacks inflicted significant damage to Damascus Airport, but operations didn't actually end. It was it was just an infrastructure problem, and it kind of highlighted the fact that. Tehran and Tel Aviv are starting to amp up their proxy conflict in Syria whilst ensuring that no direct hostilities occur. And they, I mean, there's, it is very important to remember here that neither Israel nor Iran want to actually fight each other in a territorial conventional conflict. They are not interested in inflicting casualties on their respective armies because that would be a really tough sell domestically. Uh, certainly for Israel, they have elections coming up. In April, Netanyahu is not interested in, you know, inflicting high level of casualties on Israeli soldiers. And Tehran at the moment can't really afford another conventional conflict. So the the issue in, in and this is this is an issue that's primarily affecting kind of the south of the country because it's kind of nearer towards Israel and it's it's 
more important in terms of the corridor between Iran and Lebanon. So again, you've got this you've got this, this safe zone issue in the northeastern part. You've got Damascus kind of trying to balance that. And then you've got the southern situation, which isn't really looking too great. So again, it's, it's just showing the changing nature of the conflict and the you know, increased activity of different regional stakeholders mm. in Syria. Mm. So what does all this mean? What are the business implications of, of all of this? What, are, what does all this mean to, to clients? Well, there's no really immediate implications because, of course, investment in Syria has gone down considerably since the beginning of the conflict. It definitely raises questions over how reconstruction should be approached by international businesses. Uh, I think the issue of safe zones, US, U.S. withdrawal and Iran and Israel's you know, proxy conflict in the region will form a lot of the conversation around Syria throughout the coming year. I think especially over the first six months, because we still have no idea what, what the U.S. is planning on doing in terms of withdrawing. So this has, you know, this has considerable impact on businesses that are thinking about reestablishing their supply chains through Syria, because, you know, do, do you open a transport route that then gets shut down? And, you know, how, how easily will it be to kind of engage with Syria in that way without having to overtly state that you're going back into Syria? I mean, those, these are very big questions. Um, for the, the transport industry, there have been some positive developments. Um, Jordan opened the Nasi border crossing with Syria and are expressing interest in kind of re-engaging slightly with Damascus, which is a good thing for companies trying to use the Syrian routes to get from Jordan into Lebanon and from Jordan into Syria and, and kind of local trade in that way. It's, it's definitely a good sign for the economy. And the more Damascus can get in that that, are, that is similar to these developments, the better for them. But at the same time, it's still a very volatile environment. You've still got a lot of different countries invested in the in into Syria, with Damascus not having much of a say over what 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 actually happens. So again, it's 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 a bit difficult to say how it will play out, but it's definitely a trend that's forming a lot of these countries' foreign policies in Syria. And for companies looking to uh, open supply chains through Syria. And given the regional wrangling over Syria, is there a risk of companies who are well embedded within uh, Qatar, for example, or, or Bahrain, perhaps, uh, falling foul in other, in other countries in the region due to their opening of supply chains through Syria? Is that, is that, a, is that an issue? That would require a significant escalation of the current political discussion. That would require a, a, a larger fallout within the Arab League, and that would require it to kind of escalate to a diplomatic level. Um, at the moment, it's not quite there yet. Uh, at the moment, it's just kind of a low-level, you know, source of tension within the Arab League, but there hasn't really been many, there haven't really been any statements from different Arab countries, you know, threatening other countries for going into Syria. Um, and I think especially for some, a country like Lebanon, if they can reopen trade routes with Syria, that would be great for their own economy. Yeah. And it would also help spur on the issue of refugee returns, which is a huge part of the local political discourse. So it's it would have to really escalate to a diplomatic um, kind of level, which at the moment, it, it doesn't seem to be the case. Okay. And in terms of those businesses looking to, to re-engage in Syria... Is there an access issue, both uh, driven by the conflict, but also um, from a regulatory point of view, or, or um, sort of visas and, and those kind of those kind of things? Yeah, I think I think that's largely formed by uh, Assad's relations with the EU. Uh, recently, Damascus or Bashar al-Assad have have 
suspended special entry visas for US diplom uh, EU diplomats in Syria. Um, before, you could apply for a special entry visa as an EU diplomat, and they would be able to go in with you know relative kind of freedom. At now, the visa process has become a little bit more complicated. And although that sounds like a very small development, it's kind of a way for ESA to fight back against EU sanctions on on him and his cohort and a lot of the big players in the Syrian uh, establishment, which coincidentally the EU has ramped up its sanctions since then and it continues to move forward with the sanctions program. So again, it, it, it complicates the regulatory environment in Syria in that it looks like Damascus will be seeking to engage much more with Russian and Chinese companies before considering opening up completely to the EU, historically because they, they haven't enjoyed the best of relations since the beginning of the conflict. Mm -hmm. And I suppose Assad has had has enjoyed a significant amount of backing from Russia, and therefore yeah. uh, is keen to uh, sort of engage in in that. Uh, yeah, uh, Russia and Iran have been his supporters from the beginning, so um, it it would make more sense for him to open up the markets to more Russian and Iranian companies, which they, he already has, and then kind of slowly trickling in EU influence. But th the way that sanctions are going, I mean, it, the EU hasn't mentioned anything about cutting down sanctions or you know lowering that they they fail to even agree on what to do with that so at the moment it seems like it will continue um and the sanctions program on you know Assad allies and certain people within the Syrian government will will keep going okay and what about other sort of industry verticals in in Syria I'm thinking mostly of kind of manufacturing which I think has been historically uh, the mainstay of the Syrian economy before the conflict but also um, about more regional issues such as aviation and overflights mm -hmm. what are the main implications there well for the aviation industry I think one of the biggest things to watch out for is the future of airstrikes in the country airstrikes did not disrupt any flights last week however they have in the past uh, resulted in several flights being rerouted from Beirut airport into Amman just because of the security threat. So any kind of revamping of, of Israeli airstrikes and Syrian airstrikes on Israel makes the, uh, you know, the airspace environment a little bit more volatile. And that's, that's something to watch out for for companies that are interested in, in, that, in that field for, for the coming year. Um, given that the rate of attacks is on an increasing trend, but not by that much, it's something to definitely keep an eye on, uh, especially when it's an unmanned airstrike. Uh, if it's manned, there's a bit more control over, you know, height and altitude and things like that. But if it's an unmanned airstrike or a drone strike, that is something that is definitely a little bit more threatening. But having said that, regional airports have improved their resilience on that. I mean, I know Beirut Airport has improved its ability to kind of interdict that and kind of plan ahead as much as you can with these airstrikes. But there has been a notable improvement in, in the region to kind of ensure companies that the situation isn't deteriorating as, as much as they think they are. And I think that's a trend that a lot of regional countries will adapt. The, Lebanon, Jordan are not interested in having foreign companies flee because of the situation in Syria. And what about the manufacturing industry? You know, are we seeing factories reopen and, uh, you know, re-engagement there or is, is that coming or are we some way off that? I think in terms of investment, as much investment as Damascus can get, the better. And if that means revamping its manufacturing industry, then sure. There hasn't been much talk about reopening factories. Also, the Syrian environment is quite closed. It's very difficult to figure out what industries are going to be opening next. And certainly, as the conflict kind of keeps bumbling on at a low level, investor confidence won't necessarily be very high. 
and especially when, you know, situations like the safe zone, U.S. withdrawal and Iranian airstrikes gather so much media attention, it creates a climate of fear. And so whilst Damascus will seek to, you know, boost its reconstruction funds, it, it'll, it'll be a bit of a tough sell, I think. Okay. Thank you very much. Just to sum up then, what are your key predictions for the coming six months, the coming year? Uh, I think the, the main one will be that the conversation around Syria is very much going to involve the future of Russian presence, Iranian presence, uh, Turkish presence, and, and what's, what these safe zones are going to look like and how long will they be in place. I think U.S. withdrawal will definitely form a part, at least in the first kind of quarter of 2019, as you know they shape their withdrawal plans. I think that's going to be a very important point of contention, and it has the ability to kind of threaten U.S. relations with Turkey with with Russia, which aren't great anyway. But you know, it's it's another kind of sticking point in relations. Also, I mean, finally, uh, Arab states will start to find Syria a little bit more complicated than initially thought because of the future of the country. You know, a very big question that's happening is what do we do now with Syria? What, they're trying to reshape their identity. They're, they're, they're trying to move forward with this reconstruction plan. How are we going to? receive this? Do we receive it with open arms and, you know, forget about the past? Or do we kind of set boundaries? And, and what's the Arab League going to look like, you know, in the next year? Do you have any, um, finally, any, any trigger points that could, uh, that would indicate things getting significantly worse or significantly better? I think U.S. withdrawal is, is an important trigger point. Uh, I think also any kind of coherent details on the safe zone is another trigger point because it could you know, it could stress relations between Moscow and Ankara. I mean, again, Turkey and Russia do not seek to kind of break down diplomatic ties over Syria. None of these issues are are likely to result in a complete diplomatic, you know, severing of ties. I think Syria doesn't have as much priority as, as that would warrant. And I also think future Arab League summits are, are another point of contention. And also, you know, kind of the the trajectory of the conflict in the sense of, you know, what's going to happen to Damascus' security environment if there's an uptick in attacks, that's another trigger point for kind of investor confidence to kind of waver a little bit, as well as, you know, any other attacks in the region, which generally it's been kind of static, but we've seen a little bit more targeting uh, US troops or Western presence or, you know, even Russian presence. I guess the uh, any possibility of another Turkish uh, offensive that you mentioned earlier on. As yes, well, that is, that is another pretty important. Category. Yeah, and again, the question over Idlib. It's another you know sticking point. Will Turkey advance uh, towards Idlib? Will Russia and the Assad government decide to do an Idlib offensive? That would really elevate humanitarian concerns in the country. And yeah, so any kind of plans to, although they're quite vague at the moment, there are plans for future offensives, and those like. That those offensives do have a chance to kind of really result in a deterioration yeah. of the environment. Brilliant. Noor, thank you very much for your insight there. A big topic to canter through, and I think we've covered yeah. quite a lot of ground <laughs> there. I would say that, as ever, we are more than happy to uh, dig down into the detail on, on various aspects. Uh, and if that's something that's of interest, then please do not hesitate to get in touch. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have found this podcast useful. If you would like to learn more about our services, or if you have any questions or feedback, please get in touch at info at sibyline.co.uk. Bye.